morning, everyone. Please stand. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing but not alive And all my failures I tried to hide It was my tomb Till I met you You called my name
down for you. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. The great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me this depart. No tongue can bid me this depart. When Satan tempts me to despair, Tells me of the guilt within, of where I look and see him there, who made an end to all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied. On him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
and amen. Man, church, I love that song. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. And this morning we are hidden in Christ. It's his righteousness that we plead. Um, and we're here to praise and worship him. Uh, good morning. We're so thankful that you're here. Take a moment and welcome those around you. All right, if you will please return to your seats and you may be seated. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to North Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you are here to worship with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. Church, why do we gather? Why do we exist? One of those reasons is because God has saved us, right? We come together, we love on one another, we get encouraged with the Word of God, and then we leave to go out and, and to be a blessing to the world, to be a blessing uh, to the nations. And so we come to serve one another and then to go out and, and serve. And so this morning in the message, we're going to talk about um, how God has a purpose for us. We, uh, we're His workmanship. Uh, he has things that He wants us to accomplish, things that His Spirit is doing through us. And, and, and how can we go out this week and, and be a blessing? If this is your first time with us, we're delighted to have you. Welcome uh, you're our guest. We want to serve you, love on you any way that we can. There's several ways for you to, to let us know that you're here or uh, maybe watching online. One of the, the ways is in the bulletin. You can just scan this connection card with your phone, um, or there's a connection card in the pew, or there's some at the welcome desk. Uh, please take a moment, fill that out, one of, of those three ways, if this is your first time with us, uh, just so we can know how to better pray for you. Um, and if we can pray for you anyway, again, please uh, let us know. Let me just make a couple announcements here. One is related to um, the, the Wednesday night Bible studies that we're going to offer that's going to start in October. It's going to last for the four weeks in October. Uh, men, we're meeting at 6 o'clock. Uh, ladies, you have one of two options. You don't have to go to both, one or two. Wednesday at 6 o'clock uh, in the WOW classroom or Tuesday night at 7 o'clock at Deanna's house. And so if Wednesday night doesn't work for you or Tuesday night doesn't work for you, you have one of those two options. Um, and if you need more information on that, you can see uh, Ms. Robin uh, about the book uh, if you need to order that. Um, and then uh, one other thing, dates for camp. Now, if you're planning on going to, to Century Kid, you don't have to sign up yet. We've got plenty of spots there. We'll let you know when it's time to sign up. We just want you to be aware of the dates. Uh, but students, Snowbird fills up fast, and so we have 25 spots. That's the number of spots we had last year. That's how many we have. We have 13 spots available of those 25. So it's the first 13 to sign up. 
If we need more than that, then we have to get on a waiting list. And hopefully by June, you'll have a spot. But if, if you want to go to camp, my suggestion is sign up, not while I'm preaching, but sign up after the service when, when we're done. You should have got a link through the Remind this week um, as to how you can uh, sign up. And then if we need spots, we'll add them. We just have to pay for the spots that we add. So we don't want to just waste money if we don't have people wanting to come. So if you want to go, sign up, and then we can get on a waiting list if we need more spots, and hopefully uh, we'll get those. So praying the scripture this morning comes out of Psalm 26, uh, verse 3. And this is the word of the Lord. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I want to draw your attention to the word walk. You're going to see that word in the message this morning. But I want you to notice it says walk in It's not your faithfulness, it's not your righteousness, but it's to walk in His faithfulness, to walk in His righteousness. And so my hope for you this morning as you just pray through that verse for a moment is that you would focus in upon God's faithfulness, His righteousness, and how you are hid in Christ, um, and that you would just be thankful for that this morning. So go to the Lord in prayer, pray through this verse, and then I will pray for us, and then we'll continue uh, to sing together. Father, the psalmist goes on to say in, in this passage, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. O God, it is good. It is good that your people can gather this morning. Father, may we not overlook that. May we not take that for granted, that we can gather, and we can gather with the freedom that we have to do that. And Father, as we gather We do not walk in here as men and women filled with pride. As men and women saying, hey, look at me, look at my faith, look at my righteousness, look at my goodness, look at my deeds. But, oh God, we walk in here as men and women who understand that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. So, God, my prayer this morning is simple. If there is anyone who does not know that grace, they have never put their faith in you, but they are somehow, for some reason, trusting in their works or their deeds or their religion or their grandparents' faith, that today, God, they would come to see that their salvation is only in Christ, by grace through faith. God, my other prayer is this. If there is any of us who claim to be followers of Christ, and this morning there is any pride still in us, any thought of, God, I'm here because I want to earn your favor, or I'm here because I want you to applaud my efforts. If there's any part of us that is looking down upon other Christians thinking we are better than them, any part of us that's trusting in our faith, Father, remind us, as we have already sung, that we are hid in Christ. It is the righteousness of Christ that we plead this morning. So, Father, remove, strip away any pride That is in my heart this morning. Any pride in our hearts. Father, because we want to exist to praise you 
and to praise you only because all the power is in the name of Jesus. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, would you stand? Let's continue to worship together.
saves. Amen? If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, while you're turning there, let me just remind you that as we sing this next song, uh, we have Children's Church today. It's only for our pre-K 3 and 4. If you're in kindergarten through second grade, the last Sunday of the month, you remain in here uh, with us. So during this next song, our littles, K3, K4, will be able to make their way to Children's Church. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you please stand? Uh, even if you don't have a copy, please stand. But hopefully you have a copy of God's Word in front of you. In honor of the reading of God's Word, Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. This is the Word of the Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remain standing and let's worship together. Be seated. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Maybe some of the more familiar verses of Scripture when it comes uh, to salvation, when it comes to how are we saved. Verses that most of you are probably aware of. And so 
The temptation at times is when we come to a text that we're familiar with, it, it, we become over-familiar with it. Um, and we hear it taught and, and preached, and we're like, yeah, I, I know that, I've heard that, I've got that. And, and, and it doesn't stir our hearts maybe the way that it once did. And so, though these verses are familiar, I do believe that God has a word for us this morning, and I pray that we would hear uh, and listen to Him. Here's how I want to begin. I want you to, uh, to look at verse 10, because there's a word I want you to notice. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word walk, you may want to underline it, the word walk. Now, go back to chapter or verse 1 of, of the same chapter, chapter 2, and notice this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once what? Walked. You may want to underline that word. So Paul here begins this section, verses 1 through 10, focusing here on the word walk, and then he ends with walk, right? And what he's saying is, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and we walked in that. We walked in rebellion to God, under the wrath of God, separated from God, living according to the, the ways of the world and the devil and, and of the flesh. And, and then he comes to verse 10, and he says, now the way in which we walk is completely different. We're walking in these good works that God has prepared beforehand. What a sudden change from walking away from God in rebellion to now walking in these works that God has prepared for us. What brings about this change? What brings about this change? Well, that's at the heart of verses 8 and 9. And so uh, I'll give you the main point in just a second. Full disclosure, um, I'm borrowing this from the Reformers. Uh, they, had, they developed five solas. Solas Latin, it means only. So they developed, uh, in, in standing against the Roman Catholic Church and some of their doctrines, they, they developed these five central tenets, if you will. And so we're going to look at four of them, because I think this is at the heart of verses 8 and 9, and that is simply this. You have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. You have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. So this morning, we're just going to break that down. Let's start with this. You have been saved. That's what Paul says, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. He mentions that in verse 5. You have, by grace you have been saved. What does saved mean? It simply means you've been delivered. You have been rescued. Those of you in here that are familiar with this, those of you who are new, what does that mean? Saved. What have we been delivered and rescued from? Well, again, if you haven't been with us, go back to the beginning of chapter 2. We have been saved and rescued uh, right from death. We were dead, and now, verse 5, we are alive. So He has rescued us from that spiritual death, alienated from God. We have been rescued, saved from hell. We were by nature children of wrath. We deserve the wrath of God, the judgment of God. We deserve to spend eternity in hell. We've been saved from that. We're now united in Christ, already seated in the heavenly places. We have been rescued from Satan, rescued from the ways of the world, rescued and delivered from our flesh. We have also been delivered and rescued from ourselves. From ourselves. God rescues us from us. Because if it was up to us, we wouldn't keep walking towards hell and we would spend eternity there separated from God. So we have been saved. Saved from sin. Saved from self. How have we been saved? Paul is clear. For by what? Grace. 
You can do a little bit better than that. For by what? Grace. Well, you're saved by grace alone. What does the word grace mean? It simply means undeserved favor. And if it's undeserved, it means what? It's undeserved. You don't deserve this rescue, this salvation. It is by grace. Again, he mentions it in verse 5. By grace you have been saved. He says it in verse 8. By grace you have been saved. Now he's going to address this more as he continues in verse 8 into verse 9. So we'll circle back to this in a moment. But you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone. He says you have been saved by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. The human response to what God has done for us ought to be that we respond with faith. That in light of the gospel that the choir just talked about, this gospel that Jesus saves and being declared to the nations, our response ought to be when we hear this good news is to believe upon the name of Jesus and to be saved. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, it's verse 13. Paul writes, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, You've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What did you do? And believed in Him. That should be the response. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent, turn from your sins and believe upon the name of Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith. Now this is important. Look what he goes on to say. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this. And this. Alright, so in the Greek, we have the word this. What is this referring to? And this is not your own doing. Well, some would say the word this refers back to grace. For by grace you have been saved, and this grace is not your own doing. Others say this refers to faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this faith is not your own doing. So just a little Greek here. The, the Greek word this that we... And, Interpret in English, this is in the neuter. Some of you study languages, you have masculine, feminine, neuter nouns. It's in the neuter. So, if grace and this line up, they would both be in the neuter, but the grace appears in the feminine. So therefore, if this is referring to grace, this would be in the feminine, but it's in the neuter. The word faith appears in the feminine. And so in, in, English, in Greek language, if this is referring to faith, this would be in the feminine. But they're not. So what is this referring to? I think this is referring to all of salvation. All of it. The grace, the faith, all that God has done. All of it is a gift from God. Meaning this. No one in here can say, but wait a minute, Pastor, what about my faith? It's my faith in Jesus that saves. No. Because what Paul is saying is the fact that you believe to begin with is the grace of God. Why? Because you were dead. And we talked about dead people can't do anything. So the fact that we can even believe is an act of God's grace that He takes these dead men and women and He gives us life so that we can believe and respond. So when Paul says, and this is not your own doing, he is saying all of salvation is not dependent upon you and your works, but it is dependent upon God and His grace. All of it. So we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone. Look what he says before verse 8. And that he would show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created 
in Christ Jesus. Right? He's bookending it. It's about being in Christ Jesus. Towards us in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus. Salvation is in the finished work of Christ alone. Only. Application for you and I today. Because most of us in this room, we are believers in Christ. We have made the decision to follow Christ. Grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. Now some of you in this room, maybe you don't know Jesus. And so we'll speak to that in a moment. But for those of us who are Christians, here's the application. There is no place for pride in your life whatsoever. Because salvation is not by human initiative or achievement. It's not by your initiative or your achievement. Look what he says in continuing in verse 8. And this is not your own doing. This grace, this salvation is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Meaning, you can't purchase it. You're not going to stand before God and say, Look, God, this is what I've got to offer you. I'm going to purchase my salvation. It doesn't work that way. And he continues, Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is not a reward for good deeds. You do not deserve to be rescued from hell and your sin. You do not deserve it. It is not by your works. It is not by your effort. It is only by the grace of God. So to those of you who are unbelievers, if I were to ask you, why can you spend eternity in heaven with God, what would your answer be? For many people today, it's, I'm a good person. I've done good things. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I've been to church. I'm religious. My grandmother was saved. I want you to think about that for a moment. If you stand before God, and your answer as to why you should spend eternity with God is based upon your works, that's pride. That's, God, look, look what I can do. Now imagine for a moment God lets you into heaven. He says, all right, that's good. You were good enough. Your good outweighs your bad. Come on in. What he has just allowed is sin to enter into his presence. What was at the heart of Satan's rebellion against God? It was, it was pride. I can be God. I can be as good as God. I can do what God can do. And so if God allows you into heaven based upon your deeds, it's just a matter of time before you look at God and say, wait, why is everybody coming to you? Why can't they come to me? I'm just as good. I've got just as much to offer. I'm here because I was good enough. Maybe I'm good enough for them. No pride. No amount of I've done this, I can do this, is good enough to get you into the presence of God. It is all by God's grace. It is not look at my works or look at my faith. It is look to Christ. It is all because of Christ. Salvation is not because I'm better. It's not because I'm smarter. It's not because I'm more religious. I'm nicer. I'm more gifted. I'm more talented. Or it's because I've got more faith. It is not about you have more faith in the person next to you. No, it is all about Christ and our faith in Christ. So, there is no place for pride in the Christian life. Let me, let me break this down for us as believers. I came across this this week and man, it was convicting to me. And I've had to work through this and wrestle with this before I'm, I'm preaching this to you. So, there is, and these will be on the screen... There is no room for self-confidence before God. Why'd you come this morning? Why'd you come? 
Did you come because you thought, well, man, if I go to church, God's going to be nicer to me this week. God will treat me better. Man, that's self-confidence. You're thinking that you can put God in good favor with you based upon what you do. There is nothing within you or without you that ought to lead you to this morning coming in here with your chest puffed out and saying, God, look, I've showed up today. Look at me. What are you going to do? That's got to die right now. If any part of you in your being here, you think because of self-confidence, that's got to die now. Because none of that has to do with our salvation. What else has to die? What else has to go? There is no room for arrogance toward unbelievers. Hear me, follower of Christ. There is no room in your heart for arrogance towards unbelievers. Now, now, some, some lost people just always say, well, y'all just a bunch of holier-than-thou Christians. And they're going to say that no matter how. You could be the most humble believer on the face of the earth, and they're still going to say you're holier-than-thou. But sometimes we do act holier-than-thou. There are times we begin to look down at unbelievers thinking, my goodness, I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm so much better than that lost person over there. But if you know Christ and you understand you are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, there's no place for that in your life. Because but by the grace of God, you would be as lost and wretched as them. And so what they need is not your judgment, not your condemnation. What they need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they need. They need you to love on them, telling them about Jesus. Yes, calling sin what it is, right? But you do it out of love because of the gospel that has changed you. So there's no place for this this, this attitude of we are superior to unbelievers. And then, Christian, hear me, there is no room for competition with other Christians. There's no room for it. There's no room for me as a Christian to compete with you as a Christian. I grew up in, maybe I've shared this before, Central Baptist Church, Winchester, Kentucky. Love my church dearly. Still my church home in many ways. And I don't think it was intentional, but there was a mentality in our youth group that our youth group was better than Calvary Christian or the First Baptist or the Methodist youth group. It's like we were better. It's like we were competing with other churches to see who could have the largest youth group. I'd love to say that's only with students does that happen. But man, it happens with us as Christians. And if we are not careful, we find ourselves competing with one another. Well, man, I sure do sing better than him. I'm a much better teacher than, than she is. Man, I'm a much better parent. Man, you see the way their kids act? My kids don't act that way. I'm a much better parent. Man, I just heard about how he treats his wife. Man, I'm a much better husband than he is. And we begin to compete with one another, thinking we are superior to other Christians. There should be no place for that in our hearts, in our lives, thinking that I have more faith, or I am more righteous, or I am more religious than this other person who claims the name of Jesus. Now look, I understand how we are. We like to compete. Right? We're going to have a, the, the fall festival uh, here at the end of October, and we're going to have a chili cook-off. We're doing a chili cook-off for a couple reasons. One, because we all like to eat. And two, we know some of you like to compete. And so we know chili cook-offs, some of you are going to cook your chili. There's a competition. And sometimes that seeps over into the life of the church, and we're going to compete with one another. There's only one place that I can think of where, where we are called, in essence, to compete with one another. And so if you like to compete, here it is for you. Uh, this, is, this is what I want you to do, right? It's Romans chapter 12, verse 10. 
Listen to what, listen to what Paul says. Love one another with brotherly affection. Here it is. Outdo one another. So you, you sat up straight. All right, I can outdo somebody. What can I do? Outdo one another in showing honor. In showing honor. If you got this mentality that you want to compete, here's how you can compete. Outdo one another in showing honor. When you walk into this place, here's how I want you to walk in. I don't want you to walk in and say, hey, everybody, look at me. I just showed up to Sunday school. Look at me. I showed up to worship. I want you walking in with this mindset. Okay, who can I see? All right, I see him over there. I'm going to go talk to him after church. I'm going to outdo one another in showing love and kindness and, and, and grace to this person. Okay, she's over there. I, I haven't talked to her. I'm going to go over here and talk to her. Right? And we're just seeking to show love and grace. If all of us would just live our lives that way, humbly, and we just want to love on other people, what a different place the world would be. So church, there is no place for pride in my heart and in your life. Because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, exclamation point. And we are resting in that. But there's one other thing I want to draw your attention to, and that is for God's glory alone. And we're going to spend a few minutes here on verse 10. I love verse 10. I love the language of verse 10. Uh, our world needs to hear the truth of verse 10. Christians need to hear the truth of verse 10. So Paul just said, look, we've been saved by grace, through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. He's abundantly clear. Not a result of works. So no one can boast. Get the boasting out. Everybody, the boasting dies. We're at the foot of the cross. No place for pride. Then he says this, For we are His workmanship. That Greek word is poema, from which we get the word poem. You are God's workmanship. You are God's work of art. No, you're not a piece of art. You're a work of art. And, another word, is you are His masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. And then he goes on to say this, created in Christ Jesus. Now we hear the word created. Oftentimes in Scripture that's speaking of God's creating an individual. But here, it's not speaking of a physical creation, but a spiritual creation. You are a new creature, Paul says. You have been born again, removing the heart of stone. He's given you the heart of flesh. You are new. You are created, made new in Christ Jesus. You are His masterpiece. Phillips writes in his commentary, Each of our lives is the canvas on which the Master is producing a work of art that will fill the everlasting ages with His praise. You are God's sculpture. You are God's poem. You are God's symphony. You are His masterpiece. You are loved, hear me, by the Creator of the universe. Because He loves you. He created you, and in Christ He saves you, in Christ He redeems you, and in Christ He gives you new life. Hear me, you are loved. You are valuable. You are worth something. See, the temptation for us is twofold. One is to put all of, our, all of our hope in ourselves. I'm good. I can do this. Paul's already shot that down. Nope. You're a sinner. You need grace. You need Jesus. It's the only way to be saved. The other extreme is to walk around and say, man, I'm a nobody. God can't love me. I'm a wretch sinner. I'm worthless. I have no value. Nobody loves me. God doesn't love me. So now Paul speaks to that, and he says, you are his workmanship. 
Um, two things in the last couple weeks have really caught my attention. And so a lot of times I don't, I don't bring politics or kind of the worldly stuff in here. Sometimes I do, but I try to primarily focus on the Scripture. But there's two things that I've seen uh, in the last couple weeks that just reminds me, church, of, of the message that we're competing against. Right, this idea that we're loved by God, created by God, that we have value and worth, is not something the world teaches. And in fact, it starts early on, going all the way back to the womb. That our culture says that life in the womb doesn't matter. It has no value. It starts there and then just continues through the rest of life. So on Friday... The Democrat-controlled House, by a vote of 218 to 211, passed a bill called Women's Health Protection Act of 2021. The House passed it. It is highly unlikely, from what I've read, that the Senate will pass it. Pray to God that they don't. This is, from what I read this week, the most pro-abortion bill that has ever been passed in the House or the Senate. I'm just going to read two sections from this. And you say, Pastor, why are you doing this? Because I want you to understand that early on in the culture in which we live, life doesn't really matter. There's no value there. And we're saying the exact opposite, that there is value because we are created by God, knit in the mother's womb. So this is what it says. A prohibition on abortion at any point or points in time prior to fetal viability. That just means when can the baby survive outside the womb? including a prohibition or restriction on a particular abortion procedure. So they're basically saying up until this viability, there should be no restrictions on when a woman can have an abortion. No restrictions. Can have it whenever they want up to viability. But then it also says this. A prohibition on abortion after fetal viability. So when that baby can survive outside the mother's womb. In the good faith medical judgment of the treating health care provider. Continuation of the pregnancy would pose a risk to the pregnant patient's life or health. Here's what that's saying. It is up to the medical advisor, doctor, and their good faith to decide up to the moment of the baby being delivered. So at the last moment, if that baby poses a threat to the mother or the life or the health of the mother, that baby can be killed. And the only Grounds for that is it's up to the doctor. If that doctor thinks, nope, I need to make this decision, based upon that law, he would have the decision to do that to the last possible moment. Now look, here's what I know. I know that when a mom with a child inside her womb at eight weeks has a miscarriage, what does that mom do? She weeps. And I know at 20 weeks or 24 weeks, if that mom were something were to happen and that baby were to die, what's that mom do? That mom weeps. And if that child is born, stillborn, what does that family do? They weep. Why? Because there's life in the womb. There's life there. But our culture says, no, it doesn't matter. At any point, we can take the life of that child. So it's no surprise that the mindset then becomes, and many people begin to buy into it, that you're worthless, that you have no value. Now, most of us in this room, when you hear that and what the house just did, you're angry. And hear me, I stay out of politics. But the Democrats have just clearly said, you want to stand with us, you must stand for abortion. There's no other way around it. That's what they're saying. And it's just a matter of time they're getting closer until they finally say what it is. It's murder, and we don't care. 
just a matter of time before they finally have to take that position. So we all will stand there and say, man, that's wrong, that's wrong. But let me, let me talk to something that's a little closer to home, because this really caught my attention. Here's a headline from Wall Street Journal. Facebook knows Instagram is toxic for teen girls. Company documents show. Here's a headline from the Washington Post. Instagram is even worse than we thought for kids. What do we do about it? Now, I'm on Instagram. I've chosen Instagram over Facebook for a variety of reasons. But listen to this article. New documents reveal Facebook knows in granular detail just how harmful its Instagram app is for many teenage girls, according to a Wall Street Journal report published Tuesday. The newspaper shared findings of what Instagram's internal researchers called a teen mental health deep dive, including a study that found Instagram makes body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. The article continues. The pressure to look perfect, the tendency to share only the most positive and polished parts of a person's life, and its addictive nature can send teens spiraling toward eating disorders, an unhealthy sense of their own bodies, and depression, according to the article, which cites an internal Instagram report from March 2020. Boys are also affected, with 14% reporting that Instagram made them feel worse about themselves. Most alarming, perhaps, was an internal presentation showing that among teens who reported suicidal thoughts, 13% of British users and 6% of American users traced the desire to kill themselves to Instagram. Time out. Am I saying Instagram is of the devil and you need to delete it off of your phone? That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying. I am trying to preach a biblical worldview that says every single person matters. And Facebook knows that Instagram is telling everybody the exact opposite. Now what should they do? Get rid of it. If it's hurting people, why are we doing it? But they'll never do that. And so we're having to compete. We're having to compete for the very hearts of teenage girls, some of them are you, when I tell you God loves you and you are worth something, when you look at Instagram, you say, no, I'm not, I'm worthless, and I have no value. That's what we're competing against. And it's all the time. So parents, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to shepherd your kids' hearts. And if you see that Instagram or any social media platform or anything at all is lying to your kids and they're buying into it, that must go. It has to go. Be the bad parent and get rid of it. Because it's a lie from Satan and from the world that is telling them they don't matter. I sat with some pastors on Monday. I've never been to the Coweta Fair. Last year they didn't have it. I didn't get out there this year. Maybe it's still going on. Uh, but Wayne Jenkins, uh, and so I didn't know this. Maybe you all know this. The Western Baptist Association has a, a booth out there every year. and They have a box at their booth. Some of you maybe have seen it. You walk up to the box, and on the outside of the box, it says this, look inside to see the most valuable thing at this fair. That intrigues people. Wow, the most valuable thing in the fair is right here in this box. They walk up, they want to see what it is. So before they look in there, Wayne or whatever church is out there says, what do you think is in the box? Wayne says, some people will say a funnel cake. Though not the most valuable, it's up there. You've got to have a funnel cake when you go to the fair. And then others, knowing it's a Christian tent, knowing it's run by churches, will say, oh, it's a Bible, or it's a picture of Jesus. Anybody been to the box? Anybody in here seen the box? When you open the box, what do you see? 
You see yourself because it's a mirror. And the point is the most valuable thing, the most loved thing, most loved person at this fair is the very person looking inside this box. And then he told me this and it broke my heart. He said we had a 14, 15-year-old girl come up just a couple days before this with a friend. She said, sir, two years ago, I was here at this fair. Remember, the year before, last year they didn't have it, so two years ago I was at this fair. And I walked up to this box, and I looked in this box. You reminded me and told me that I'm the most loved person and thing at this fair. She said, sir, it's been two years ago, and I need to be reminded again that I'm the most loved person at this fair. It takes walking up to a box for her to be reminded that she's the most loved, valuable person at the fair. So hear me. You are loved by God. And I would shout it really loud, but I'm not going to, because I want you to know that you are His workmanship. He, you are His masterpiece. And the world's going to tell you otherwise, but that's who you are. And then he continues. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. All right, what's going on here? For good works. We were just told we weren't saved by good works, and now we're talking about we're supposed to good, do good works. Well, what's going on here? So just quickly, let me state this in several different ways just so it's abundantly clear. Good works are not the grounds for salvation. They're not the grounds for your salvation. They are the goal or the evidence that you have been saved. Others have worded it this way. Good works are not the root of our salvation, but they are the fruit of our salvation. They don't save you, but they show that God has saved you. We are not saved because of good works, but we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are not saved by good works, but for good works. The Reformers often said, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. So what is Paul getting to here? I think what he's getting at is this. When Jesus Christ saves you, He changes you. He makes you new, and as a result of that, your life ought to look different than it did when you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You ought to look different. Our changed lives are testimonies of God's life-saving power. But has your life been changed? How are you different as a result of being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? Listen to me. The gospel says something. But the gospel also does something. The gospel says that you are saved by faith in Christ. That Jesus died for you. You can be made right with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and faith in Him. The gospel says something, but the gospel also does something. And what the gospel does is it radically changes my life. And it changes your life. So Paul says we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You understand that God has a work plan for you. You know, brothers and sisters, that God has a purpose for your life. That God recreates you so that you can fulfill the work He has for you. That God works on us and in us so that He might work through us. That He's not done with you yet. Look what He says. Last part, we're almost done here. That we should walk in them. This word walk, Paul is going to unpack this for us in verses five, chapters 4, 5, and 6. Right? He's going to talk about how we are to walk in Love, that we're to walk as children of light, that we are to walk in wisdom, that now that we have been saved and changed, not because of me or anything that I have done, but solely because of Christ, I now walk with Christ, for Christ, and for His glory alone. The story is told of a young, rowdy, and unruly boy in a Sunday school class who often frustrated his teacher. 
One morning, the teacher was frustrated and had had enough, and she just looked at the child and said, Why do you act like that? Don't you know who made you? To which the boy replied, God did, but he ain't through with me yet. Hear me. God made you. And by his grace alone, he has saved you. And he is not finished with you yet. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. He is in the process of making you and sculpting you into this beautiful masterpiece. So the people don't look at you and say, wow, look at Aaron. But they look at me and they see Jesus Christ through me. All by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? This morning, maybe you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And if I were to ask you, why should God let you in? Why should you be saved? You would say, well, Pastor, because I'm a good person. Look, Paul has just refuted that very clearly. You've heard that this morning in the message. Look, it has nothing to do with your works. So will you stop trusting, stop putting your hope in that, and just confess your sin, turn from your sin, and give your life to Jesus Christ right now. If you know Jesus Christ... As Lord and Savior this morning, it's just a simple reminder. We're going to sing this song, one of my favorite, favorite songs in Christ alone. We're going to sing that in just a moment, just as another reminder that it is all because of Christ, all that Christ has done for us. And so this morning, as we sing this, will you just pray, God, remove any pride in my heart, strip it away, mortify it, kill it right now. Maybe you need to come and kneel at the front in just a moment and just say, Jesus, there's pride in me. Remove it. Take it away. And then lastly, it's simply to say to you, and maybe this is more for our students today, is that you are loved by God. I don't, I don't care what the lies of Satan are. I don't care what the lies of the world are. I don't care what some boy told you or some girl told you or what some jerk told you. You are loved by the creator of the universe. So much that he sent his son Jesus to live for you, to die for you, to be raised for you. And he wants you to walk in that freedom. He wants you to know that love this morning. I mean, if you're struggling, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, if you're struggling with depression, man, if you just hate who you are, please don't suffer in silence. Will you please reach out to somebody? Because we want you to know that you are God's workmanship. He said it, not me. And what he says, he means. Oh, will you know that this morning? Father, will you speak to our hearts? You know, my heart, my, my burden for students, for teenagers. Lord, I've said it many times. I can't imagine God being their age in 2021. I wouldn't go back and, and relive those days and those years in this culture and this climate for anything. God, I just want them to know how much you love them. I want them to know how much their family loves them, how much this church loves them. Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, God, I want them to know how much we love them, so much so that we're willing to share Jesus Christ with them. That I'll preach an entire sermon devoted just to their needing to be saved because that's the most important thing that could happen today is seeing lost people come to faith in Christ. So Father, as we close out our worship this morning by singing in Christ alone, oh God, would you remind us that it is all because of Jesus and may we stand and just praise you for that, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing the entire song of In Christ Alone. Pray. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my 
cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter. You may, hey, go ahead, we can give the Lord praise for that, amen. Hey, you may be seated for just a moment. Uh, you guys have been seeing in the bulletin about um, the fall festival slash trunk or treat that we're going to have at the end of October, so Miss Rachel is going to come and talk about that for just a moment so you can have some more information. You want to hold a mic or you want to just talk into this? All right. Bill. I can, I can be loud. 
can't use my teacher voice. Um, okay, so the fall festival is what I've been calling it. We're kind of doing a hybrid um, where we'll have some fall festival games and some just trunks where kids can go and get candy. Um, so I've got a sign-up sheet. I redid my sign-up sheet from last week, so it looks a little different um, where I've listed the specific games that I have planned right now. Um, if you're wanting to do a game or thinking about doing a game, all you have to do is show up and run the game. I'm going to have all the things that you need um, for those. There's tags still out there for um, things that we need in order to do some of the games like the pumpkins. There's um, tags for larger pumpkins and medium-sized pumpkins and then little tiny pumpkins. The larger and medium pumpkins are more for like decorations because we're doing like a photo booth kind of thing. Um, the little tiny pumpkins are for a pumpkin painting station. So I'm not real picky about what we get. What I get, I will use. Um, so the chili cook-off, if you are interested, and I know Pastor Aaron mentioned that earlier today, if you are interested in um, competing in our chili cook-off, Steve Holloway is who I have tasked with organizing that. So if you could, is he in here, Steve? Oh, he's back there. Okay, he's back there. You can see him if you want to um, participate in that. Um, Miss Wanda has agreed to run our bingo. I don't know if y'all remember from years past. We've had bingo in the fellowship hall, and it is so much fun. Um, so Miss Wanda has agreed to run bingo. So even if you don't want to come and run a game and hang out outside, come. There's something for everybody to do. We're going to have hot dogs along with our chili, um, and it, it's going to be a really fun time. So um, if you have any questions, let me know. There's a sign-up sheet and tags still out there. We still need lots more candy. Um, and there's a box out there on the table behind, underneath the bulletin board for that. So. One of the reasons we're, we're doing this is obviously for our kids, but also just to love on the people that come and let them know how, how much God loves them and just be a blessing to them and, uh, and get to have a lot of fun as a, as a church family. Uh, Larry Chappelle is the deacon of the week, so if you'll stand, he's going to come and close us with a word of prayer. Don't forget about our uh, evening activities tonight. I want you to come and, and be a part of that. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just gather today in praise and adoration and love. We just thank you, dear Lord, that we were dead, but through your grace, we begin in life in Jesus Christ. And as brothers and sisters in faith, as we depart from this place today, dear Lord, we just pray that you, uh, your love fills us to overflowing. And as we go th into the world this week, that your love will shine through us and that will further your kingdom, dear Lord, because by your love, they will know that we are yours. We pray all things in Jesus' name. Amen.